Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Alexandra Marshall Live. We are going to revisit a guest today after the unsettling events that have taken place in the UK. Audiences will remember Lilani Dowding from our live Mark Stein shows, including the recent cruise focused on the collapse of Western civilization. Today she returns to talk about the actual, the very real and tangible collapse of free speech which is taking place in the United Kingdom. Leilani, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Before we start, I have a message for the totalitarian busybody censors at Bugger Ofcom. Firstly, I am in Australia, not the UK, so I exist beyond the reach of your censorial clause. And secondly, we are not throughout or at any point in this interview inciting or conspiring to incite damage to UK property. Instead, we are having a philosophical, cultural and political discussion about the limitations of authoritarian power and citizen response. Okay, debates, remember those things Ofcom? So anyway, Lalani, just so we clear that up so no one comes door knocking for you. Mind you, they have to get through your horses. <laughs> yes, they do. Big gates and horses. Well, look, Australia looks up to the UK where you are for obvious historical reasons, like watching our parent go off the rails and vanish down into some battle of addiction. Free speech in the UK has become somewhat of a disaster. But for a while, it seemed that things were improving with the creation of GB News, the self-branded free speech network. You and I were both regular guests in the early days. Were, yeah. you, were you hopeful that conservative and libertarian media was going to make a resurgence and a resurrection? You know, I really was. There was, um, you know, GB News was really leading the way, especially when we were able to talk about, you know, the lockdowns, the danger of the lockdowns. You know, then we were able to talk somewhat about the vaccines. Um, and it all just kind of went wrong after Mark Stein did his um, vaccine special and had a few guests on that Ofcom didn't seem to like. So I think that's when GB News really started to go down. But then obviously, you know, I don't know if your viewers know that the absolute insanity with Lawrence Fox and Calvin Lawrence first being suspended and then fired. So, um, you know, all that hope really has gone. And I, for one, um, I won't be going on there again. 
No, it feels like the network might be in free fall because of what's happened in recent weeks. And it's a shame because conservative media doesn't have many places to go, nor do commentators in conservative media. A rigorous and combative media environment can only exist in the absence of an all-powerful, narcissistic, politically motivated enforcer like Ofcom in the UK. Now, during, Off, uh, during COVID, Ofcom was famous, Lalani, for spreading... They ignored the false and dangerous, commercially motivated fake news being spread by its favourite networks, including the BBC, while hounding those that dared to ask questions about the safety and efficacy of vaccines. Now, Mark Stein is their most famous victim, a man who worked tirelessly to help the victims and families killed and maimed by Big Pharma at the behest of political leaders. He is still paying with his health for the very real virtue of speaking when others were silenced. Leilani, were you shocked by what happened to Mark Stein? And was that the hill that GB News should have chosen to fight and die on in the name of free speech? Yes, to both. I was really shocked that it happened, given that, you know, they sell themselves as the home of free speech. Um, they should have stood by him. And I think that, you know, this is what happens when you give in to these people, when you capitulate, when you, you know, kind of go along with them. And you just hope that, you know, if you just if you just go along with Ofcom, then they won't ever come after you. But the problem was with Mark Stein's case is that it was very orchestrated. Now, Ofcom um, depends on people to report in and complain. Um, and I noticed it, that what was happening, was especially on Twitter, it wasn't the viewers that were writing in and complaining. Um, it was the people against Mark Stein. It was the people that he didn't, that didn't like him or his message. And they would put on Twitter um, a link to Ofcom, where to complain, the name of his show, the time his show was on. And then they would then tell your, their followers, click this link. This is how you report. Report this. Um, and it wasn't an organic complaint. It wasn't somebody that had just gone and watched it, was so offended that they decided to search how to complain, um, get all the details and write that down. They, they didn't do that. And this is what we're seeing. And this is the left being very, very organised. And this is why the complaints don't come when it's, you know, the opposite argument, because the right don't behave this way. You know, we want free speech. We want to see debate. But the left... If they see or hear something that they don't like, you know, they they get on it, they get organised, they get people reporting. Um, and it's a very, very unfair system the way it is at the moment. Um, and, you know, when we talk about Lawrence Fox and Calvin Robertson, I can give you some other, you know, very important examples. Well, you raise an excellent point, and that is that the left are agitators by nature. They seem to sit around looking for things to moan and complain about, and there are all these regulators sitting there lapping up these complaints because it gives them something to do to satisfy the outrage, whereas conservatives, we're not like that. We don't sit around thinking, how many people can I complain to today? We're too busy. We've got jobs. Is that leading, in general, the landscape of our political ideology tending toward the noisy, squeaky wheel of the left? Is that why we're slanting toward the left? Well, I think so, because, um, you know, then what happened, instead of people standing behind Mark Stein um, when this happened, they actually started to self-censor at GB News. They started to stop speaking about certain subjects that, you know, the left might get agitated about. Um, you know, for people like us, we would just turn off the BBC, turn on to GB News. You know, they 
literally come onto GB News to see what they can complain about or they wait for somebody else that's talking on GB News um, and or watching GB News to get onto Twitter and say complain about this. So um, you know we're really we're really really seeing it. We're seeing um, news hosts self censor themselves. We're seeing subjects being dropped because it might be too controversial. Even though GB News will then try and you know wheel out some really you know far lefty to come on and. And, and say their side, we're still seeing that there is a lot of censorship, self-censorship going on. Well, Mark Stein warned GB News that if they allowed Ofcom to erase and harass hosts over political dissent, there would be no more free speech network. We have seen an extraordinary fallout in recent weeks. In short order, Lawrence Fox, Dan Wooten and Calvin Robinson have been evicted from the channel. There are persistent whispers that other charismatic hosts are soon to follow. Now, is this the end of the network as we know it, or do you think that the home of UK's free speech will become another light version of the BBC, an acceptable place of speech that, as long as it's politically moderated, is still allowed to take place? Yeah, I do. I think people are saying it now. It's, you know, it's Sky News light. It's uh, BBC light. Um, you know, what what we saw with Lawrence Fox was insane, really. He's, he said a little crass comment. He wasn't actually the host on Dan's show, um, on the show that time. You know, he does have his own, he did have his own show on GB News, but he actually came on to Dan Wooten's show as a commentator and as a guest talking about something um that a lady had said, very much dismissing male suicide. And that really upset Lawrence. So, um, you know, he was, he said a lot of, good, you know, interesting things. And he said, um, you know, we what we need is, you know, strong women, women that care about men. He was obviously very upset that she dismissed male suicide. And then he made a bit of a crass comment. Um, who would shag that? And that was it. He got suspended for that. But then Dan, whose show it was, also got suspended. Calvin Robinson, um, who said he supported both Dan and Lawrence and they shouldn't get suspended, then got um, suspended too. And and this is the problem. It's, you know, we've, it was a crass comment, but it was also meant quite in a, in a, in a jokey way. It was um, obviously not reported by GB News viewers. What had happened was is, a lefty in the green room had videoed it, sent it to um, the woman he was talking about. She then tweeted it and it, you know, Lawrence had gone to sleep. It caused this huge storm and everyone was like kind of talking about it on Twitter. Um, and they they kind of bowed to that Twitter pressure. Now, I will also add it was after 9 p.m. It was maybe 10. It was after the watershed. And, you know, I know this gets called whataboutery, but, you know, I think it's really important to point out that on another show with Piers Morgan, two gay men had had the same similar conversation. Um, they were talking about Sam Smith. One of the men said, would you shag it? The other one actually started talking about, it. well, you know, uh, would I have sex with him? Maybe. You know, and this was actually a conversation pre-Watershed. And... Not an eye was batted. But, you know, Lawrence Fox, post-Watershed, said that he would not shag somebody and all hell broke loose, you know? And, and so, you know, that's what we're dealing with. Yes, it was a silly comment, but there's been so much worse, you know? We've had um, 
you know, Joe Brand, she's a comedian. She actually, I, I think it was Nigel Farage, she actually mentioned, you know, throwing acid in Nigel Farage's face. Um, but it was definitely somebody, and, and it was, you know, look, everyone looked the other way because, you know, he wasn't particularly popular with the viewers at that time. You know, so there's been horrific comments made um, that have kind of passed under the wayside, but, you know, everyone decided to jump on this. Um, and, you know, suspension and then firing, it's just, it's, it's such an over-the-top reaction. Yes, that's exactly what we call it, an overreaction. Well, Alani, you could make a case perhaps for Wooten's eviction for other things that were going on at the time. You could make a much, much weaker case for Fox's departure from the network and perhaps at best a disciplinary case against Calvin, publicly defying the management. But there was no case for Mark Stein, which tells me that we live in an era where anyone can be removed from their role in the media at any time for any reason. I feel as if, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there are some presenters out there on the right in various countries and on various networks that think that if they pander enough to left-wing thought and stay mm -hmm. within the Ofcom rules or whatever regulator they have in their country, that they'll be fine. But I suspect if they become too powerful and too influential, something will be dug up to cause chaos about and see them removed from their platforms. Absolutely. And it's not just in the UK that this is happening. I mean, look at look at Tucker. Look at Tucker when he look at Alan. You know, you just say something that the left don't like and you're just going to get attacked. Um, you know, or they can dig up, you know, not in either of these two cases, but they can dig up something from their past. Um, they, they will attack you any which way they can. They they will use anything. Um, and they're very organized. And that's the problem is that they're very organized and they'll gather all their, you know, their group together and they will just go on the rampage. And you can say, right, you know, I'm not sure who made the analogy. You can just, you know, pander to these people. You can try and feed the crocodile just in the hope that the crocodile eats you last. So, you know, at some point, they're going to get you. Um, it's, it's just a matter of when. And we've seen it. And you can have the top shows. You can have the best shows. They will, if you say the wrong thing or if you get a little too powerful, they will get rid of you. Well, you're so right. Tucker Carlson, I mean, it wasn't enough that he was removed from his platform. The network then released the behind-the-scenes clips of him, hoping that that would reflect poorly. But if I remember correctly, they were hilarious and everyone, it reflected well on Tucker, not the other way around. But I don't know if you saw, our dear friend Ava has been labelled a controlled opposition and a sellout by her own followers because she dared to criticise Hamas for keeping children in cages. Now, Ava put up a tweet that read, I quote, Express my concern for my continent, immediately accused of being controlled opposition, end quote. Now, there seems to be a corrosive sentiment, which I think started with the QAnon movement, which seeks to undermine those on the right who are trying to save Western civilization. It's a level of paranoia and trust nothing that operates well uh, beyond healthy skepticism. Yeah. Now, do conservatives and libertarians need to stop actively killing off the people on their own side? I think so. And this is a real problem. I think infighting, we've, I've seen it in the UK with a lot of the people that were really hugely against lockdowns and vaccines. You know, they, this, they, 
if, if there's something that everyone doesn't agree on 100% and, you know, I mean, I don't really know how um, what Ava said could ever not be agreed on. But if, if there's something, you know, where, where there might be another side um, or a bit of nuance, you suddenly have these very... Um, very right wing or libertarians jumping on people and saying controlled opposition. And I've seen it a lot. And it is worrying because it is the infighting. And this is what the left doesn't do. The left are very organized. You look at the BBC, somebody gets suspended. They stand around each other. They say, you know, we're not coming back on TV until he's. I feel like there is an element of, you know, our side where people will, to some extent, eat their own. Um, I feel like there is a lot of infighting, um, if not every single line is agreed on. Um, and I think that is what probably does the most damage to us. Um, or, you know, there are certain programs on GB News where the presenters, you know, they see it as an opportunity, Dan's going, or they saw it as an opportunity that Lawrence has now got an open Friday night show. And they were very quick to come out and condemn um, Lawrence for something that was, yes, crass, but again, it was a very over-the-top reaction to just, you know, a little crass comment. Well, look at the US. You've got uh, Trump and uh, DeSantis. And those two should be pillars of conservative politics, maybe slightly yeah. different leaning, and they should be holding up the conservative movement in the US. Instead, you've got Trump supporters and DeSantis supporters trying to actively kill both those movements. And what's happened is both mm -hmm. movements have suffered for it. You've gone to the US a lot. You spent a lot of time there. Do you find that particularly distressing for the Republicans over there? Yes, it's something that I said very early on. It was really upsetting to see... I, I mean, I don't know who started it first at this point. I think it could have been Trump attacking DeSantis. And then, you know, and then there was a firing back. And then you, you see these, you know, Trump and DeSantis um, supporters attacking each other. And it is worrying because the Republican, you know, party should be bringing or candidates should be trying to bring, you know, the party together, not divide it up. And it is worrying. And it does. It does. But it does make me think, are these true Republicans doing this? You know, are they are they true? Are they people that like care and or follow Ava that are saying this to her? Or could it be somebody that doesn't like anything that Ava said and just throws in that controlled opposition to make, you know, people that listen to Ava um, start to question her? Because, you know, what, what Ava said, I think a lot of people agree with, whether, you know, whether you support innocent uh, Palestinians or not, that's not the question. What you can say is you can say that the horrors that we've seen carried out by Hamas, carried out by these terrorists, the murder, the rape and the kidnap, putting children in cage is absolutely horrific. And if you want to support innocent Palestinians, you can also do that. But you should be able to condemn the actions of terrorists and not be called controlled opposition. It's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever seen. And, you know, I, I to see Ava, you know, Ava go in that when she's done so much and she's tried so hard to just to bring awareness to people of everything going on from the farmers to the jabs, to the lockdowns, um, 
to um, CBDCs, to everything, to the lack of free speech, to immigration, for everything that she's done, to then be called controlled opposition. Um, you know, that's, I think, I think that's a huge problem. And I think that we all need to look at that and take a step back and say, hold on a minute, you know, this, this is, you know, this is too far. This is ridiculous. It's, you know, it's not true. And there's being, there's agitators being put in to stir up trouble within. Unfortunately, I recognise a lot of the names who are making the complaints and have seen them for many years during other cultural battles, and they are genuine conservatives. They just subscribe to this idea that there's some all-powerful group of people controlling us in the media, which is hilarious because you and I both know that we have to come up with our own stuff and do our own work, and there's no one helping us, certainly no controlled yeah. opposition. But let's talk about the first tree that fell across the media landscape in the UK. Russell Brand. Now, I don't want to speculate about yeah. guilt or innocence. What I wanted to ask you, Lilani, was your opinion on a couple of things. Firstly, right before this saga happened, the UK passed their hated and heavily criticised online mm -hmm. safety law, supposedly to protect children. Now, the first act of this law was to write letters to social media companies, including Rumble, to demand the removal and demonetization of Russell Brand before there was any kind of conviction against him. Now, a government entity right. removing people's ability to earn a living before a legal judgment, I mean, that seems like a scary precedent for the UK on free speech. Oh, I absolutely agree. And furthermore, he hasn't only not been convicted, he's actually not been charged. All this time has gone by and he's never even been charged. So we saw that YouTube demonetized him. I want to know, you know, how long is it going to be with no charges until YouTube allows him to, you know, go back to earning a living and providing for his family. Um, but to see this this woman write this let these letters to a man who's not being charged with a crime um, and ask when he's going to be demonetized, they are rumble. Um, he, I think she wrote to Facebook as well. And apparently she actually didn't get the approval of the committee. Um, and furthermore, her husband's actually um, somebody who's in the 77th Brigade, which is the propaganda um, kind of arm of, of the army. They go online, they see what people are saying, what people are doing. Um, so it's very, um, it's quite sinister, really. Um, you know, and again, it's been weeks now and he hasn't been charged, but we've seen demonetization from YouTube and, you know, these letters have been written. Um, so this is what's terrifying about the online harms bill is that what we see happening, say on GB News with Ofcom, or other entities getting these Ofcom complaints. Um, that can now happen online. So here's the thing. The, the thing is, is there are already laws in place about, you know, there'll be harassment laws or bullying laws. And obviously, you know, anything to do with children is already illegal. So why these extra laws? So what's happened with the online harms bill is they've, um, they've, they wrapped it all up and said, like, if you don't vote for the online harms bill, then you obviously don't care about children. That's not the truth. This is about um, censorship. It's about limiting speech um, and what have you. Um, and it's not about protecting children at all. 
It's it's not because all of those, you know, there's laws in place for that already. This is purely, I believe, purely about censoring us the same way that they can limit and censor what goes out on, um, on you know, mainstream media. Well, the government is quite literally hiding behind children in order to enact censorship, which is a cowardly yeah. move from the UK government. And Rishi Sunak should be ashamed of himself for allowing that to happen. Now, the second thing is the timing of the announcement against Russell Brand. Now, let's pretend for yeah. a second, for argument's sake, that the worst of these accusations are true. Well, they've been true for a long time. They've been known about for a long time. But while the accused was a member of the virtuous left and held up as the pinnacle of left-wing culture, they were untouchable. Now, we see the same thing with politicians, where dirt is kept for decades until it becomes politically yeah. convenient to murder the, the reputations of people when they become powerful. Now, is social justice about justice or is it about weaponising justice for political ends? I think it is, and you're absolutely right to look at the timing of this. Now, what they used on the documentary about Russell Brand as well to um, discredit him as a person is a lot of old footage. So, for example, there was a show called The Break, Break The Great Bake Off, um, and they'd booked Russell Brand on it, and he'd made a cake. And the guy said, you know, the judge said, what is this? And he said, it's a vagina cake. Well, you know, that was used to discredit him. Russell Brand was known in the UK as being um, a very outrageous, kind of dirty, um, crass comedian. And he was booked specifically because they knew he would come out with, you know, things like this, you know, vulgar, you know, just kind of vulgar behaviour. They knew he would do it because they encouraged it. It's what they wanted. It's why he was booked. So now all of a sudden they want to say, oh gosh, you know, you know, all of this footage, look at all this footage we have. It's so disgusting. And it's like, um, what a horrific character he is. And let's, well, let's use it as, um, to wield a case that he's this terrible person. When actually it was a persona that the media had cultivated and they wanted, they wanted that because it got headlines. Um, and, you know, I have to say he was never my type, but Russell Brand was very loved. People loved, you know, the way he behaved. They really actually did love it because that's why he was always booked. They found it funny. I didn't. They did. But, you know, I feel like 20 years ago, people had a different kind of sense of humor. Not everything was offensive and disgusting and people could make dirty jokes or um, they could be overly flirtatious. And then, you know, you kind of, you saw it. Um, oh, her name's going to slip me now. There was an actress. Um, she was kind of sat on his lap and she she had a face like, you know, a little, little like what um, expression of shock. And, and, you know, they used that picture to say how uncomfortable she looked. It was on the Daily Mail's website, their Instagram, their Facebook. And she'd actually come onto their Instagram and said, I don't know what you're trying to do here or what agenda or narrative you're trying to push, but um, don't do it. This, you know, I was, I did not feel uncomfortable in any way. You know, they left her comment up, but they also left the picture up with the headline about how uncomfortable she felt. And this is how the media, the mainstream media is working. They're building these stories. These um, these women weren't women that came to the press or they went to the police. Again, it's not something that happened organically. They didn't complain to anybody until the newspapers had called around them. So the newspapers, um, the Times, I believe, and the, and the documentary actually called up anyone that they possibly knew um, 
to say, you know, we, we've seen you pictures of you with Russell Brand, or we hear that you may have known Russell Brand. Can you talk to us about it? Um, but they went, they went you know, fishing these for these women that were coming. They went fishing for a story yeah. at a particular time. Yeah. And the question has to be asked, why did they wait so long to go fishing for a mm -hmm. story? And what does that coincide with? But before we talk about Lawrence Fox, I want to talk to you about the behaviour of women in politics. And you've just touched on it there. Without mentioning any names, Alani, we both grew up in an age where women were told they could be the equal of men, intellectually speaking. It was the girl power years of the late 90s. We always presumed that this would mean we, as women, would have to toughen up like men in the workforce. After all, we can't expect both special privileged emotional protection and to be treated as equals. Something has to give. But the feminism of today is trying to ride in both lanes. So on the one hand, we have women claiming to be devastated and so upset because a random bloke doesn't want to sleep with them, despite those women using the exact same phrasing against men. But how would we feel and how would the press react if Boris Johnson came out and claimed that he was deeply hurt and very distressed because some random female news anchor decided that she didn't want to sleep with him? Do you reckon that we'd laugh and perhaps ridicule uh, Boris Johnson if he were to do this? There are definitely double standards at play here, right? Oh, absolutely, there are double standards. I mean, it's the first thing that um, we saw when, you know, this lady Ava came out and said that, you know, she was so she was so offended and it was so disgusting. You actually go through her tweets and she's used that phrase so many times. I actually put it in to see if it was a phrase I used. I hadn't, but, you know, I wanted, she had many times, um, I, she's not going to shag you, mate. Uh, um, she won't, she won't be shagging you, pal, I think was another one. Um, and it was like shag, 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 shag. So it was a phrase that she used. And all of a sudden she was offended because somebody said that, you know, who would shag that? Now it's, I, I mean, I kind of laugh at it because it's very, to me, it reminds me of Austin Powers, you know, the spy who shagged me. Um, and it's just, you know, it's so well, sh shag is a very a Shag is a very British word. We adopt it in Australia as well, but it's not an aggressive word by any stretch of the imagination. No. In fact, it's deliberately polite way of saying that. That's the whole point. It's usually used in jokey circumstances. But my point is it's not acceptable for a man to be offended at that. We would not accept that publicly for men if they started to say that they, they were very upset about a woman saying that about them. So clearly that men and women are not being treated the same as far as public opinion goes. I can't imagine anybody running a title about Boris Johnson being distressed that a woman doesn't want to shag him. No, well, this is the same thing as when the, when the gay guys talked about it on Piers Morgan and no one was offended. Like, the, you know, you, it's pre-Watershed, um, two gay men discussing whether they would shag, um, and they used the word shag as well, Sam Smith, um, and no one was, it's like men just get on with it. Men don't care, you know, men don't find something that they can um, pull out and use as a victim card, you know, whereas uh, sadly, you know, women keep doing this. You know, there was there was a Geordie guy, an ex-boxer, um, and he actually just had a court case because, well, in, in Geordie is a guy for, uh, Geordie is somebody from Newcastle. And in Newcastle and up north, they use pet as a term of enjoyment, like, hello, pet. Like, it's nice, it's polite, it's not offensive, but they say that. Anyway, these, you know, these women um, 
complained and actually took him to court for assault because he touched uh, their elbows and said called him, called them pet. These waitresses did that. And, um, you know, thankfully there was common sense and it got thrown out. But, you know, this is what women are using as as abuse. And it's, you know, it, it not only diminishes actual abuse, um, but it kind of makes the whole mockery out of it. And is this what feminists are fighting for, really, for us to say, oh, my goodness, you know, somebody touched my elbow, somebody called me pet, I'm so abused, I'm such a victim. You know, what does that do for us as women? It, it's, you know, I come from somewhere where, where I, you know, if someone says something I don't like, I stand up for myself. You know, I'm not a wallflower. We're teaching, the, we're trying to say to these women, look, you're all strong, you're all amazing women, you can do whatever you want to be. But next thing, the smallest thing, and you're a little wallflower and you're offended and you don't know how to stand up for yourself and you can't say no or you can't, you know, tell somebody to back off or you've got no banter to answer it, you know, in a smart, humorous way and shut somebody down. You know, we've lost all of that ability because, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to play this victim card all the time. Well, not you and I and not many strong well, women, but you know what I mean, Alexandra. It's like we, we, see, we see this now. Women uh, are, are just, when it suits them, falling back into like, you know, this little wallflower, I can't protect myself. Well, of course, I mean, and if men want to sleep with women, well, then they're rapey. They can't even go the affirmative on TV or that's even worse. So you can't really win yeah. if you're a bloke. But you're in the wrong industry, Lilani. Surely you could launch a whole new career of victimhood about your emotional abuse and permanent trauma from being a page three girl. <laughs> and that's the thing. You know, I, I actually had the best time I learned I learned a lot. I think that's where I get my thick skin from. I, you know, I learned to answer back. I learned to be quick. I learned banter. I know how to say no. I know how to put up boundaries. I know rejection. Um, and, you know, it's something that we're all, that young women are missing today. We're not learning all that, you know, giving out all these participation trophies to everybody. You're not learning rejection you're not learning no you're not learning how to say no you're not learning all the life skills you need to be you know a, a strong confident uh, woman and and I think that's the problem with feminism they want to use it and weaponize it in whatever way we can it's like a what what can we do I think feminism now is like what can we do to one-up a guy um, and how can we use it it's not about empowerment anymore none of it's about empowerment it's about wanting up men in any possible way that they can. It's certainly not the uh, fun feminism of the late 90s that we enjoyed, where you got to be a girl or a woman and you got to have fun with it and be powerful and be resilient. That was probably the pinnacle of feminism, right at that point, and then it went off a massive cliff into nowhere. But I want to talk about... But then also... It you go. Oh, also another problem I think is, is that a lot of the feminism, you know, we were taught about... Um, you know, sexual liberation and women being like men and, and what have you. I think that we're also built differently. And I think that was a bit of a lie that was sold to us as young women. You know, this whole sexual liberation, be as free as you want, do what you want. You can have, you know, do this without any emotional attachments, which isn't 
quite true for women, I don't think. And I've seen that now what the problem is, is that women realize that in the past, they may have made some bad decisions. You know, there's certainly decisions I made, I've made that I've, that I've cringed at. And I think, oh, God. But now, you know, those women are now being taught to weaponize that into well, maybe, you know, if I wasn't thinking right, was that consent? And I think this is what we're seeing now. We're seeing, you know, we were told that we were empowered and we were told that it was a good thing. And then, you know, you suddenly realize, oh, well, hold on a minute. Maybe, maybe I did make mistakes. But instead of accountability and realizing you made those mistakes or you made those bad decisions instead of that again it's now a stage where we're trying to pass that off to the men well hold on i did that because of the man you know instead of any kind of accountability for ourselves yes well regret is not a crime but that's what it is being made out to be now i want to talk about lawrence fox London has turned into a stabby, stabby knife capital of Europe under Sadiq Khan's mm -hmm. let's not hurt the feelings of criminals by searching them for weapons, a, a regime that he has going on. Now, despite this, the police, they managed to find six police officers and raid the home of Lawrence Fox. We're going to play a short clip now for you. Coming after Lawrence. Oh, what? No. Look how many coppers there are in my house. Look at them coming to steal everything, take everything out of my house. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the country that we live in. Now, knowing that there's a crisis of there being no police available when real crimes are happening in London, how mm -hmm. do you feel seeing six police officers in Lawrence Fox's living room? You know, it made me really upset and it made me... It actually really stressed me out for him because... We do have serious crime problems in London. There's, you know, burglaries, stabbings, robberies happening all the time, car theft, car crime, all of this. And, you know, you're very lucky if you can get, you, you get your house broken into and the police come out. You're very lucky if, if that happens, you know, you just get a crime number now for your car. No one wants to investigate anything. Um, you know, Lawrence went on a podcast and, you know, he... He, he said he would cut down some ULES cameras, but he would give his location at the time, which to me says it's more of a protest as rather than him actually doing it because he knows he would have been stopped at the time. Um, so it's more of a, a, a like a protest that he was that he was saying. And then they, you know, they sent those cops round, six of them. He was in, arrested, taken to um, jail for the day. He still doesn't have his phone's back. I think they're trying to find out if he's some ringleader, which is just absolutely ridiculous. When, you know, when you just can't even get police to answer anything when you have real serious crime. It's, it's you know, it's, it's like a pre-crime. It's, you know, it's just so crazy to me, Alexandra. It's just, I'm kind of shocked that it happened if i'm if i'm honest with you um and the thing is is we've seen people like chris packham who is a conservationist and i, I do i want to add that i do love the work he's done with animals but he's very with the climate change human climate change scam narrative so he actually made a documentary for channel four um 
and I think it's called Is It Time to Break the Law? So it's a question, you know, and on this documentary, he actually talks about blowing up pipelines. Doesn't say he's going to do it himself, but he says, you know, if, if one was to blow up a pipeline. So it seems that, you know, this actual documentary, that it could potentially be inciting this kind of law-breaking behavior. That's okay. Again, doesn't even get a look in. Lawrence Fox says, goes on a podcast and, and, and says he supports the Blade Runners, who are the people that are taking down the um, ULES cameras. Um, he says he supports them. He says he doesn't want a surveillance state. And next thing, the police are at his house taking his phones, his kids' iPads, his kids' phones, um, you know, all, all of his appliances. So it's it's... In, re in, record, in record time, I might add, the police were down there pretty quick, smart, once they saw the podcast. The next morning. Yeah, no, no doubt that was uh, reported to them by one of these people that I hate watching these programs for the purposes of complaining. Now, we're going to watch another clip from Lawrence Fox now. Morning, guys. Um, in London's knife-ridden capital city, where a 15-year-old girl was stabbed to death with a sword... We've got one, two, you can show them. One, two, another three upstairs. Stealing, going through my house to intimidate me because um, this is what the police are. They don't police with consent anymore. They police with fear and intimidation. That is the Stasi police force that we've got nowadays. Instead of being on the streets solving crimes like the murder of the poor 15-year-old girl, they're on all over social media. But I'd take it. The um, ULES scam cameras outside of London are a complete... The outer ULES zone is a complete scam. There's no scientific evidence. Sadiq Khan rubbished the evidence and had it rewritten to serve his own needs. No one voted it. It's the beginning and bringing in of a surveillance state. And he's trying to make noises so that I can't say that. It's the beginning of the surveillance state and these boys are the Stasi. Sadiq Stasi. Bless them. So have a lovely day. I'm going to spend my day in the clink, innit? And he really did, walking out later on holding a book about gulags as a, a point to the media. Now, the roaming groups of citizens opposed to the Ulez scheme have named themselves Blade Runners, as you said, after the science fiction film. But we need to talk about the notion of civil disobedience. Now, Lawrence Fox made it clear that the Ulez is part of the establishment of an authoritarian state in the UK that abuses mm -hmm. the basic rights and freedoms of citizens to movement around their own homes without being fined by the state which is stalking them. Now, when the Berlin Wall was being hacked at and damaged by citizens, do you think Sadiq Khan and his fellow champagne socialist lovies would see that as criminal damage or a valid act of citizen protest you know what you're right that's a really good comparison actually and they probably would have they probably gone and, and, and rounded them all up and and went to the homes of the people instigating it and this is you know it's just it's so crazy to me because lawrence is right you know Sadiq khan fudged a lot of evidence got scientists you know we've seen it before like the last three years haven't we have got scientists that would go along with what he wanted that could show and manipulate results to what he wanted so no one voted for these ulos cameras um they actually affect the poorest in society the people that can't afford brand new cars or electric cars people don't want them people hate them and 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 they're forced people 
feel like, okay, what left? What, what else can we do? We have to protest this physically. We have to take these down because, um, you know, because we, we never wanted them. The people never wanted them. It's just another way for Sadiq Khan to collect money from um, from Londoners. You know, you know, they've got high enough insurance, got high enough taxes on petrol. You know, so you are paying for the miles that you put onto your car or you do. And so this is just another one. And I think, you know, what you said is a really, really good example. You know, sometimes people do have to take a stand and. And again, it's like, you know, you've got Chris Packham, the environmentalist, talking about blowing up pipelines for, you know, for climate change. And because that goes along with a climate change scam narrative, people look the other way. So it's, it's very, very one-sided the way things are being policed. Um, and I think that's what we've got to look at. And, and and when they bring all of these very authoritarian new regulations in, we've got to look at how that they can use these in the future to control us even more, because it seems that that's, that's what they want to do. That's what it's all for. Nobody, the people, the people that, you know, that, you know, we employ them, we employ them, you know, they're not, you know, a king or queen. They don't, get to make, we implore them to do things, but the people don't want it. The people don't want it. And sometimes, you know, you have to take, you have to take action like that. But to go after Lawrence Fox, he's not the bloody ringleader. You know, it's the most, it's the most crazy, insane thing. All he said is he was going to go and join them and, 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 and give his location while he was out with them, um, you know, and then come and basically just kind of said, come and arrest me while I'm actually doing it, if you dare. Um, so, you know, to go and do that beforehand, like he's some big mastermind, is just, it, it's just, it's crazy to me. And really, I just think everyone around the country, every single person should say, I'm going to go and do it. And then, you know, see if every single person around the country gets, gets, uh, six police at the door but with everything going around in london you know real real crime real hate we, we shouldn't be wasting six police officers time like this well of course on the morning of recording this interview there's an e-bus on fire spewing black toxic you know fumes all over london in sadiq khan's little ulez zone i wonder if he's going to find the renewable uh, vehicle companies that made it for this i doubt it very much and of course, the question is not whether damage to public property is always a crime, because we know that there are limitations and thresholds historically established that make it acceptable for citizens to retaliate against and uh, against the control of bad governments. Now, there is widespread and valid anger about the Ulis scheme, as you said. So why doesn't the mayor and parliament recognise the civil disobedience as a sign that something is wrong? I mean, you have to wonder, because you've got Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil down yeah. there causing real damage to property every single day. And mm -hmm. what do the courts in the UK do? They say, we're going to let you off because we agree with your political position on this. Now, if you want to arrest Lawrence Fox for incitement, fine but then you can't let people from Extinction Rebellion go unless you want people to accuse the government of using this uh, type of citizen protest as a social license to impose the authoritarian state. Because I think the reason they went after Lawrence Fox wasn't because they were worried about the Ulez cameras. It was because his leading of a protest 
basically said, mm -hmm. actually, the public don't agree with us. And if people fall behind Lawrence Fox, we're going to have a real rebellion on our hands of citizens who are poor, who are working class, and who do not agree with this new authoritarian net zero state. Yeah, totally. And you can see this. This is a the problem. There is a two-tier system going on. Um, depending on which side you stand, it's going to depend on whether you get into trouble or not. Um, and so we're seeing this. And also, I think the rest of the UK is looking at London and ULES. Um, and the problem is, is you see how much it's hated. And the more and more uh, you know, the, say the northern councils or the councils around the Midlands are seeing how much it's hated, the less likely, you know, they're going to bring it in, which is why it's so important. You know, this isn't just a London issue. Um, and that's why I think they need to make such an example out of Lawrence. Um, it's not just an issue in London. It's It, it can easily spread out. If, if if they get away with ULES in London, mark my words, it will be Birmingham, it will be Manchester, and then it will go to, you know, Bristol, Bath, Oxford, smaller, smaller cities. So, you know, they're trying to make examples of people very early on. Um, because, you know, I, I do think it's something that they'd like to roll out everywhere else. So, you know... Without saying I will ever join them and hear from my little Staffordshire, I definitely support, you know, what the Blade Runners are doing and the protests that they're making. Because I think, you know, you you the only way to win this is to not comply with it. Um and and that's probably the only way to not to not comply with it at this stage because you know we people have done the petitions they've tried to do it democratically um, and 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 like you said you know it seems like ju if, if just a boil want to go out and block roads and and damage and deface things and and spray graffiti and paint and damage artwork all sorts then it, it seems you know again they'll get a cup of tea by the police on the side of the road but you know you stand against anything that, you know, they're really, really pushing and you're in big trouble. Do you know what it reminds me of? And hearing you speak just now has uh, brought it to my mind. When you had the mask mandates come in, they went so yeah. heavy after people for just not wearing a mask. You were thrown against the ground. Yeah. Some people are in hospital still because of how heavy handed the police were about about a mask. It was out of proportion completely with the reality of what was going on. And that's because the ideology behind it was so weak that it couldn't stand any threat or questioning to mm -hmm. it or it would just fall completely apart. Now, Lalani, Australia is probably about a year behind the UK when it comes to censorship and the empowerment to control speech. For example, we had Jordan Peterson ask Lawrence Fox, how are you feeling about the new surveillance state? But he was unable to reply due to his new gag order. Well, Australia's mm -hmm. Combating Misinformation and Disinformation Bill is a gag order for the whole country where I live. Now, there is no definition of harm within this bill, no definition of truth, and political opinion is being misrepresented as hate speech. It is the end of journalism as Australia yeah. knows it. And unless you're sanctioned by the government, you will not be allowed to speak. So. You've spent time in the United States where we saw the collusion of social media networks with the White House. Is this the end of yeah. free speech as we know it for the West? Because it seems to be happening in every country at the same time. 
It does. It does. We see. And also that something very similar has just gone through in Canada. Now, I forgot to mention earlier that in the online hate, um, online harms bill, they also talk about misinformation and disinformation. And that, you know, it's not, you know, when they're saying it's about, you know, kids and saving kids, it's about the harms that can be caused by misinformation or disinformation. So, you know, whatever we've discussed about the vaccines, um, because it doesn't go along with their narrative, it could be causing harm to people. And this is where it is so dangerous because it is going to, um, you know, kind of limit our speech, close our speech down. I mean, it seems like it is being rolled out across the world in lockstep, but under different names. Um, but I do have hope. I don't think it will be the end of free speech because people are going to have to start wording things differently. Um, I think the reason Prisk Packham got away with what he did because it is he posed, he posed it as a question. So things are going to have to be spoken about in code. We saw that. We saw people have to change the word of vaccine because it was picked up by the algorithm to jab or shot or um, something like that. So there will be, we will see, you know, more codes. And then I think as well is that this is where it's really important to remember to see people in person as well. You know, so you can, it will be like the speakeasies, the old speakeasies. You know, you, you build your network. Like when you and I were on the Mark Stein cruise full of um, wonderful, amazing, like-minded people where you could talk freely. Um, and that and that's going to be what's really important um, to have those kinds of networks, not only just, you know, to speak about things, but for your own peace of mind and for sanity, because mainstream media is going to get tighter. Social media is going to get tighter. The internet is going to get tighter on what you can and can't say. So it's really important um, to be able to, you know, speak to like-minded people in person and away from, you know, the surveillance state at times. You know, we see Katie Hopkins. She does um, a great comedy show. Sometimes they can't release the location of where it is. And same with David Icke, can't release the location of where it is until a couple of days before. But that's somewhere where people can come together and they can chat and they can share ideas when, you know, it, we are going to be censored, I think, um, over mainstream and, and the internet, but they will never, ever be able to really get rid of our free speech. Well, don't fear, Lilani. This will always be Australia's free speech network, far beyond the reach of Ofcom. But thank you so much for joining us here today. I know it's early in the morning, so thank you for coming on. And uh, that, so is it, where can people find you if they want to follow your work, Lilani? Thank you. Um, well, when Mark Stein's better, hopefully we'll all be back together. But um, I'm on Twitter. I've just been taking a little break, though, because it is because it's a bit of a toxic soup at the moment. Um, with everything, but mainly on Twitter. Obviously, as you know, I got banned on Instagram, but you know, I'm there under a different name, uh, a shortened version of my name, Lani Dowd, or on my on my Twitter or any other podcast and what have you I have coming up I usually I usually post on there well thank you so much for joining us on Marshall live and that's all we have time for catch you next week <laughs>